Today we are going to finish up in our series on develop a life of prayer, developing a habit of prayer. Amen. And so we're just going to put a bow on this series and um you know, we've come to the end of it, and I certainly hope that over the last few weeks, um, you've been able to set some time aside and, and spend with God, praying, reading, and listening, amen. Uh, and the purpose, really, of this message series was to drive you closer to God. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get closer to God, okay, uh, and encourage you to simply spend some time with Him, uh, both in His Word and even more importantly, in his presence, amen, because if you have his word without his presence, then you're simply following a formula, and if you have his presence uh, without his word, then you're vulnerable, and you're out of alignment spiritually, amen, so we need all of him, we need all of him. During this series, Developing a Habit of Prayer, uh, talked uh, a little bit about um, Number one, the first uh, message in the series was the purpose of prayer, amen, the purpose of prayer, and how the glory of God must come first, right? The glory must come before our needs, the needs of the heart. God looks at the secret closets of communication because he wants a relationship with you. The end of the day, that's what God wants. He wants a relationship. He doesn't want something from you, okay? He just wants his presence to be with you. And he wants the same from you, right? He doesn't want you to want something from us, from him, although he's willing and able and happy to give everything to you. But he wants you want him, amen? That's the purpose of prayer. And then we talked a little bit about the power of prayer, and how agreeing with God's word releases the Holy Spirit power in your life. Many people believe that you, you, you no longer need to, to tarry, okay, or to, to come before God, uh, you know, but God is just saying, listen, there is a power in prayer. If you'll come into my presence, if you'll spend some time with me, amen, then you'll get your breakthrough. Breakthrough won't just be a cliche, right? It won't just be something that you say, some sort of a church Christian vernacular. I'm going to get my breakthrough. What does that even mean sometimes? Amen. But while we certainly need to wait on God, it's not about the length of time that you're before God. It's not about how many words you speak while you pray or, or, or how, what your language is about when you pray. It's really about whether you agree with his word or not. That's really what it boils down to. You agree with God's word. It's a power of prayer. Last week, we talked about the boldness of prayer. Come on. We came before God's throne and how when we come to God, we must come in faith, nothing wavering. We must believe that he hears us and that he answers our prayer. We must have a confidence, amen, in his word, and we must have a confidence in our relationship with him. Many people view God, know God, right? Know God means that I just assume 
we just assume God is going to say no. We, we hear this phrase, we hear this term, uh, you know, that says, listen, uh, you just have to trust that whatever God says is his will for you. And that is a true uh, phrase. That is something that is uh, that we should take to heart. Uh, but I think one of the things that it does sometimes within us is it makes us assume, well, he's just going to say no. Whatever he says must be the right thing. And so if he says no, and that's that's where we go to. We go to that 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 no place. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this. Let me just remind you, for all the promises, how many are all? All is all. Amen. Somebody say all. All the promises of God are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Amen. It's all for his glory. So God is not a no God. God is a yes God, according to his will. And today, I just want to finish up for a few moments. And I believe this is a word today from the Lord. Amen. Not a word from me. Not a word from Pastor Mike. I believe this is a word from God today. We want to finish up talking about praying to move mountains. Praying to move mountains. And we're going to see how Jesus addresses this subject of moving mountains, praying to move mountains. If you have your Bible or a way to get to Scripture this morning, your iPad or your iPhone or your Android or uh, whatever you may have, turn over to Mark chapter 11, and we're going to look at a familiar passage, a familiar uh, passage of Scripture. Jesus is with his disciples, and things are beginning to wind up in his life, and uh, he's, he's headed uh, to Jerusalem, and you know, he's kind of talking with them, teaching them, and, and they're going about their way. And uh, we look at verse 12 of Mark chapter 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. If you have a different version, we'll get to the same place together. Amen, because we have the Holy Spirit. But beginning at verse 12, the Bible says this. It says, now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. He was Jesus. He was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Drop down to verse 20 for me, if you would. Down in verse 20, it says, now in the morning as they passed by, this is the next day, okay, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever and whenever and Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, 
forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Jesus is going down with the disciples and he's hungry. He sees a fig tree, doesn't have figs on it. He curses it. The next day they come back and they see uh, some versions say that it dried up from the root, from the root of the tree, not just the figs, not just the leaves, but it dried up from the root. Peter remembers this, and then he goes into this lesson, this diatribe, uh, you know, about the fig tree and how it teaches a lesson, and he starts talking about mountains. Now, if you've been around uh, this church any amount of time this year, you may remember that our theme for this year is moving mountains. It's our theme for this year, moving mountains. I, I believe it, and I know we're in May. We're almost in June, and uh, five months have, have already gone by, and I believe still, as I did January 1st, that this is a year that we are going to move mountains in our personal lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, and in this church. We are going to move mountains in this city. There will be mountains that will be moved. Amen? Amen. And so when you look at when you look at mountains, you know there's different kinds of the Bible describes mountains in different ways. You know, I mean there's of course the physical mountain, which is uh, the way that is probably most used. All right? Just the physical mountain. Uh, that's what we normally use uh, that word for and it refers to what we see. Just a physical mountain. Amen. Just a mountain that's out there. The second way that this word mountain is used, mountains are also used in the Bible to describe kingdoms, to describe kingdoms. In Daniel chapter 2, the kingdom of God is called a mountain, and it's going to smash other mountains. Come on. Kingdom of Satan in Isaiah 2 is called uh, a mountain. And the kingdom of humans, the kingdom of men of this world are also called mountains. So mountains are also used to describe kingdoms, okay? And then mountains also uh, are used, as Jesus uses it here, to describe unconquerable situations in your life. In other words, situations in your life that, that, that you just, you can't conquer. There, there's nothing you can do and there's no one that can help you get through it. In the physical, in the natural, it's a mountain. There, there's nothing you can do about it. Amen. It's, an un, it's a situation that is so large and so big that not only are you unable to move it by yourself, but it, you don't even know anyone who can help you move it. Come on. It's just simply too big. These are mountains, and this is the mountain that Jesus is talking about moving. He's not, he's not talking about something you can do by yourself right? He's not talking about dropping a few pounds. Come on now. Here's my mountain. I just need to speak to my mountain. I need to, I need to drop five or six pounds so I'll be a little bit more healthy. Well, that's more like a molehill. Come on. And I know it seems like a mountain. I know it does. <laughs> Trust me, I'm there, okay? I'm, not, I'm talking to myself, all right? I know it might seem like a mountain, but Jesus is talking about speaking to mountains, I'm talking about insurmountable situations. Why? Because with man, it is impossible. Come on, somebody. But with God, all things 
are possible. Nothing is impossible. Thank you. Nothing is impossible. This is what we're talking about this morning. So he uses this. He uses this situation with the fig tree. In Mark 11, Jesus talks about moving mountains, but his lesson on moving mountains begins with the fig tree. Peter, Peter said, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. It's dried up from the root. Dried up from the roots. He, he, back in verse 12, it says Jesus was hungry. All right. Now, he saw the fig tree in leaf. But the Bible also says that it was not the season for figs. So many people would say, well, you know, listen, why would Jesus go over to the tree if it's not the season for figs? Is Jesus, you know, does Jesus need some rest? Is he, you know, has he been awake too long? Does he not understand what's going on here? It's not the season for figs. Why would he go over to it? But the Bible clearly tells us why he went over to it. Well, ultimately, we know he's teaching a lesson. But in the physical, it clearly says why he went over to it. Now, get this. Please follow this. It says he went over to a fig tree that was in leaf. It had leaves on the tree. That's what drew him over to it. Figs are not in season, but wait a minute. Here we have a tree that has leaves on it. It's in leaf. Oh, so anytime a tree is in leaf, that means that figs must be on the tree. Jesus saw something that was out of the ordinary that presented itself as one thing. But when he got there, it was something else. He saw something that was one thing. It was unusual, a tree showing leaves but having no fruit. See, there's an external show with no internal substance. There's an external presentation with no internal representation. Come on, that's what Jesus saw. There's the look of figs without the reality of figs. The fig tree was a deception. Then Jesus, it says that he responded to that deception. He cursed the tree. We're going somewhere now. Because you are a deceiving tree and you gave me the visible impression that you could feed me. But when I came over, there was a, there was a good look, but no substance. So I'm going to curse you. I'm going to curse your external activity because of the absence of an internal reality. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Now, to really understand this, we got to look at the in-between. Because on one day, Jesus with his disciples are on their way to the temple, and this happens. And then on the next day, they're coming back, and they see the result of it. But something happened in between there. Let's take a look at that. Let's go back to your word, back to Mark 11, and let's look at those in-between verses there. Verses 15 to 19. All right, between Jesus cursing the fig tree yesterday and seeing the fig tree dried up today, there's a story. Let's look at that story that ties these two incidents together. Verse 15 puts it this way. says, so they came to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple, began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple, and it overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. 
Then he talked, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves or a den of robbers? And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Yesterday, Jesus was hungry and he thought he had provision, but it was deception. It looked like one thing, but it was really another. Then he goes to the temple where he should have found people worshiping God. Where he should have found people praying to God. But he found a fake religion. Come on now. Come on. He was in the church because there was a priest. Come on. But they didn't have a spiritual reality. They had the show of the temple, the outer work, but, but they didn't have the reality, the spiritual reality. So you can look the part, but when we get up close, there's no spiritual life. And all you have is activity, no spiritual power. You're having fake church. If I'm going to be honest with you this morning, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going I'm I'm to tell you, I, I've been in church. I've said this before. I've been in church my whole life. I, it's not everybody's testimony. And I, I'll tell you this much. It doesn't mean, uh, I heard this this past uh, weekend, I heard this phrase again this past weekend. It doesn't mean a hill of beans when it comes to your salvation. It really doesn't. I mean, it, it helps, but it's, it's not that, I mean, I don't think I'm special, nor should you, because you've been in church your whole life. But all I'm saying is I've been in church my whole life, and there have been several times where I have been disenchanted with church, and I really didn't know why. I was talking with a brother this past week, and he said, how do you, how do you stay up? How do you not get disenchanted with church, you know, uh, after all of this time? How do you not get disenchanted? And I'll be honest with you, there have been a lot of times, and I really didn't understand that it was because after a while I was going and I was seeing an outward show, but there was no inward reality. There was no inward spiritual power. We did all the things. Oh, we sang some songs now, and we got down in church. We, we sang, so it wasn't praise and worship like it is today. We got down. Come on. Right? And, and, and somebody had a testimony. Come on. And it was an overcoming testimony. Well, most of them were. All right. And then we sang some more songs. And then we had offering. And then we had communion. And the preacher got up to preach. And the preacher could preach now. Come on. He preached you out of the building. And we, we had all of those things. But after I came down from the high of the service, my life was still the same. And I don't mean just the circumstances, but I mean my spiritual life was still the same. There was an external show, but there was no internal change. There was no internal change. And here, when Jesus went to the temple, he said, I see your external show, but I'm about to curse some of this stuff y'all doing. I'm going to curse all this external show. Get out of here. And then he had to teach what it really should be. See, this whole thing, yeah, everybody thought this is just about Jesus being hungry and seeing some fish. But he's trying to show you some things here. And, and if we can we go a little bit deeper than this? Because it, it even goes deeper than this. He's not just trying to show you that you need a spiritual reality. 
But ultimately, he's getting to the point where you need a spiritual reality because I, I, I want you to have it, Jesus is saying, because I want you to move mountains. This is what we're getting to. I want you to move mountains. And so from there, when Peter says, Rabbi, look at this. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. The tree is dried up. And then the Bible says that Jesus answered Peter, which I found interesting because Peter didn't ask a question. If you go back and look at it, it's really a statement. He says, Rabbi, the, the tree is dried up, is withered up from the roots. Look. And the Bible says Jesus answered him. <laughs> well, Jesus answered him because he already knew the question. He already knew the question that was behind the statement. The question is, how is it that yesterday you were hungry and you spoke to this tree which was alive and had leaves on it? It didn't have the fruit, but it had leaves, so it's alive. And today, this morning, we come back by, and I mean, not only are the leaves dried up, not only is the tree looking decrepit, come on, but from the roots is dry. How did all of this happen in 24 hours? That's the question. That's the question. And then Jesus goes into giving Peter, the disciples, and you and I, the keys to moving mountains. The keys to moving mountains. And that's where we're going to land just for the next few minutes. The keys to moving mountains. The tree was alive. You cursed it. 24 hours, all this thing happened, and I can't believe it. Things that are too big for you and I to handle on our own, Jesus goes into it. In verse 14 of Mark 11, Jesus responds to the illusion that the fig tree presented by saying to it, hear me now, saying to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. He didn't ask the father to curse it. Oh, come on, we, gonna, we, we teaching this morning. Come on, the Holy Spirit. He didn't ask the Father to curse it. He didn't pray about the situation, about this mountain. He didn't pray about the mountain. Come on now. There's a reason. Our series is developing a habit of prayer. I'm not telling you don't pray. Okay? But he didn't pray about the mountain. He spoke to it. He spoke to it. And so the first thing we have to understand, the very first key is you have to understand there is a prayer, but there's also a speaking to the mountain. We have to speak to the mountain. Prayer is our communication this way to hear what God would say. But our mountain in our reality is our communication this way to speak what God would say. We have to hear what God would say, and then we have to speak what God would say out of our mouth. And if you don't think that that's true, how do you think you even get saved? You don't get salvation by praying about it. Read Romans 10 and 9 one more time. He didn't say pray and ask me to give you salvation because he already did that part. What he said is confess with your mouth. Very, very clear. Very, very clear. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, right? Because what's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. What's in your mouth is what's in your heart. Some people will say something. I've been guilty of it. 
And I say, well, I really didn't mean that. Well, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's something you need to deal with. Maybe you didn't mean to mean it. <laughs> but he says, speak. So the first thing we need to understand, first key, number one, speak to your mountain. And then in the passage, watch this now, Jesus said the very first thing he said. How, he's answering Peter's question that Peter didn't even ask. Jesus, the, look at the tree. It's, it's withered up from the root. Jesus answered the question before Peter could even ask it. And his answer was, have faith in God. That was his answer. Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you that whoever, that means you, that means you, not the pastor, right? Not, not Bishop Jakes or, or Roberts or whoever. You, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes those things that they say will be done, will have whatever they say. Jesus simply says, have faith in God. In fact, back in Matthew 17, verses 20 and 21, he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The second thing is we got to speak with faith. Speak with faith. You see, mustard seed faith is not just a cliche. Mustard seed faith can work if your faith is in the right thing. Have faith in God, meaning have faith in his word. Believe his word. Remember, we talked about agreeing with his word. If he says one thing and you say something else, you don't have faith in God and you don't have faith in his word. Jesus is saying have faith in God. Don't have faith in your faith. Come on, somebody. Have faith in God. See, a lot of faith in the wrong thing will get you nowhere. But a little tiny bit of faith. And God will get you everywhere, everywhere. And God wants your faith to grow, but you got to start somewhere. Come on, have faith in God. Watch this, James 1. He, the, James is saying this in response to, if you don't have wisdom, ask God. Ask God for it, right? When you ask, you must believe and do not doubt. Because one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that person think that they would receive anything from God, because why? They are double-minded and unstable in all their ways. That's a mouthful that James says right there. What's he trying to say? Have faith in God. <laughs> Believe and do not doubt. And that's the same thing, the same attitude that Jesus is conveying here. When we speak to our mountain, speak with faith. Speak with faith. The name of the message today is praying to move mountains. But the one thing that we notice is on his way to prayer, Jesus spoke. I mean, when he cursed the fig tree, he spoke. You see, we pray to receive revelation. Come on. And our relationship with God. We speak to see what we heard become a reality. Come on. And they have to go hand in hand. Can't have one without the other. See, one of the issues is people say they hear a message like this one or, or, or what we call, quote, unquote, a faith message. And then they'll say, OK, why, why I have faith and, uh, you know, I'm just going to start speaking. But they have no relationship with God. So how you know what to speak? You don't even know what to say. God even told you what to say to this particular situation. Have no relationship. You have to have both. That's why you have to develop a habit of prayer. It's not just a cute phrase to say for some message series that we're having. 
This is reality. Develop a habit of prayer. In Exodus 4, Moses was, continue, was communing with God. And uh, what is prayer? But communing with God, right? And, and Moses told God, he said, I have a stutter. I, 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 can't, I, I, can't, I can't speak. But you know what God was saying? God's saying that's the only way this is going to happen is if you speak. You, you're going to have to speak. He says, as a matter of fact, I'm going to get Aaron to speak for you, okay? But you still have to speak to Aaron. You got to let him know what's going on. At some point, you got to speak. And don't worry about it. If you commune with me, I will put the words in your mouth. God's words. The third key Jesus has given us is speak the word only. Don't speak something else. You can't know the word unless you're in communion with him. Develop a habit of prayer. You can't know the word unless you're talking to him and listening to what he would have to say. Right? And then once you hear it, speak that. Don't say something different. Don't say something different. Come on. Somebody tell you something. You say something. That's not what I told you to say. God is saying, say what I told you to say. My words are life. Come on. Number 20, Numbers 23, God said to Balaam, I won't go through that whole story, but you can read the story. He said, you shall speak only the words which I tell you. Only the words which I tell you. In Luke 21, 15, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Why speak God's word? Your adversaries won't be able to stand in your presence if you say my words. If you say my words. Hebrews 4.12, you know these. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living, come on, and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Oh, I'm a surgeon with this. I'm surgical with this word now. Come on, devil. You don't want to come over here. I'm surgical with this bad boy. Come on. Proverbs 18, 21, you wouldn't know it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those that love it would eat the fruit thereof. But listen to the Good News Translation. Take this in your heart, please. Listen to this. Listen to what it says in the Good News Translation. What you say can preserve life or destroy it. Watch this now. Please, if you don't take anything else, take this. We're almost done. What you say can preserve life or destroy it. So you must accept the consequences of your words. Don't act like you ain't know this was coming. You said it. You said it yesterday. My back is killing me. Now you're in the hospital. Come on. I know. Now you're in the hospital. Talking about give me some of that, what's that medicine? Toradol? Adderall? Some kind of all? Give me, give me all. Talking about give me all. And you surprised. Why my back? You know why your back is hurting? Why it's killing you? Yesterday you said my back is killing me. I'm not throwing no shade. Please don't understand I'm not. I am not. We all need to do better. I, I'm the first one to tell you. Listen, I need to do better with my words, okay? I, I'm, I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, but we, gotta, we have to speak God's word. We have to, we have to work towards speaking that. Not a magic 
magical thing. And it's not what I'm, I'm not talking about a genie in a lamp. If we speak God's word, speak his word, and then it comes to pass. That's not what I'm talking about. But we just understood why, because his word, come on, is like a two-edged sword, right? And what you say can preserve life and destroy it. That's what Jesus said. Lastly, lastly, and this is important as well, don't have unforgiveness in your heart. Jesus, Jesus didn't, did, Jesus put this in there for a reason. <laughs> he ended with this for a reason, uh, right? In, in verse 25, Jesus goes on to say, and, and, how many know and is a conjunction? It connects two phrases together. Connects. Connects. Okay? He didn't go on to a new thought. It's connecting two together. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you in your trespasses. Forgiveness is a key component to moving mountains. This issue with forgiveness is that we're sometimes so hurt that we get clouded uh, to what the bigger picture is. You see, the reason why Joseph could forgive his brothers is because he said, you meant it for bad, come on, but God meant it for good, right? God is so big that he can take your mess and create my miracle. And so unless you have that view of God, you'll do the wrong thing. And you think forgiveness is just about you and your hurt, but it's, a, it's so much bigger. It's so much bigger than this. Don't let that person have the power over you. Don't let them have power over you. You want your mountains moved. Don't let them be the one to stand in your way. Amen? Let me end with this. Many, many don't want to believe this. And this probably could go into a whole other message, but I'm just going to throw this at you and let you take it with you. Many don't want to believe this. But you read through the Bible, you get to know the Lord through and through, and you understand that he has a conditional will and an unconditional will. And I didn't say permissive. I know you guys want to use these words, but there is a conditional will and an unconditional will. Let me explain it real quick, real quick. Conditional will is, that's, that's those things God's going to do anyway. I don't care. You could pray, labor, cry, tarry, whatever you're going to do. He was already going to do that. Okay, talk to Jonah. You're going to preach to the people. I'm going to save them. Okay, you're going to do that. It's just how you're going to do it. All right, I'm sending my son to die on the cross. You can't stop that. There's just some things. I'm creating the world with my word. You, you're not, there's some things you're not going to stop. But there are some things that God has some conditions to. His conditional will are those things, uh, you know, that are going to happen. His, his unconditional will are those things that's going to happen regardless but his conditional will are, are those things that you have some skin in the game. It may or may not happen according to you. Because how often did Jesus say, you are healed, go your way according to your faith, your faith. See, we pray to link into his conditional will. Mountains in your life would fall under his conditional will. We know that this because the lesson of the fig tree, Jesus was clear. If you think I'm going off and I'm going somewhere else on some different theology, read it. Jesus was clear. He said, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, that means if you don't say to the mountain, come on. Why would he say that? Whoever says to this mountain, that's a condition. That's a condition. 
So that's what we have to realize. We're going to move mountains in our life, and I don't believe we've even scratched the surface. And some wonderful things have happened so far. But I don't even believe we scratched the surface of the mountains that are going to move in our lives and in this church this year. Amen. Come on, we're going to speak to these mountains. We're going to speak God's word only. We're going to speak with faith. And we are going to be a church that walks in unforgiveness. I mean, in forgiveness. <laughs> right. Some people call that a Freudian slip. It's not a Freudian slip. Amen. We are going to be a church that walks in forgiveness. Amen. And we're going to move mountains this year. We're, we're, listen, we're building an atmosphere, of, uh, atmosphere here that, that builds the life of Christians. We're going to build life Christians, not leaf Christians. Come on, somebody. Not just on the outside, but this thing is going to go deeper. Overcomers instead of underachievers. Come on. Victors and not victims. Mountain movers and not those who shrink back. That's what we're building this year. Amen. That's what we're building. We got to grab a hold of that. It's one of the reasons why we're having small groups and we're, 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 we're getting together and we're talking about these things. Amen. So we can build each other up in our most holy faith. Build each other up in our most holy faith. We're going to move some mountains this year.